1: The first degree.
0: first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news, you see it on the paper, you see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
1: I mean these people I mean him, like most definitely he looked like a normal guy. He there was always family, you know, that he was always around family. He was always around kids, you know? And honestly, like, he was really good with kids. That's what you see. But then you hear what he did to his mom, and it, it is kind of scary. A heartless person, I mean, to his own mother, like, he had no heart.
3: Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting next to Billy Jensen and across from Alexis Linkletter. And um, if you guys didn't know, we're going to be at CrimeCon next month, June 7th through 10th in New Orleans. And if you guys want to come, you can get 10% off your badges with our code DEGREE19. Billy is going to be doing some... Other shit not with us because he's a traitor. But he is gonna be wearing matching um shining hotel gear with us
2: <laughs> against his will. Even though Jack agreed to it when she was drinking and now is having second thoughts, but it's too late. I
3: agreed when I was drunk because it seemed like a good idea, but I know they're gonna be really janky items of clothing and I'm chicer than that, but you know. Maybe I'll have a shining pin or something. Or like a hair, a bow. Mmm. All right,
2: let's get into our case.
3: On the morning of July 25th, 2009,
2: Julie Serrano was sitting in her El Paso home, and it's situated in a quiet cul-de-sac in a beautiful neighborhood in El Paso. And suddenly she heard knocks at her door, and when she opened the door, there were two men who were the sons of her next-door neighbor, 54-year-old Gloria Marmalejo. The older son was named Manny, and the younger son was named David. David lived next door with his mother, who was missing, and Manny lived in Phoenix, Arizona. But Manny had driven to El Paso after not being able to reach his mother for days.
1: Uh, My name is Julie Serrano. I live in El Paso, Texas, and Gloria Marmolejo was actually my neighbor. She was uh, right across the street from me. Um, I've lived in that cul-de-sac for about 20-plus years. Marma she was a uh how can you say like she was a very friendly neighbor I'll tell you this like uh she was always smiling like um so I'll always say hi she was very friendly with everyone well since Laura had like lived there um she pretty much it seemed like she lived alone at first and then her son uh, David Marmaleco and ended up moving in with her she had like you know what she had like a uh, family was always over she always had family so she was never alone living there it's a really small cul-de-sac so you kind of pretty much know what everyone's doing or what everyone's up to and for a good while like this my mom did mention you know that she hadn't seen our next neighbor gloria marmalejo and you know she had been gone for quite like a few months so it was the only person i would see outside was david marmalejo um well david and then he had like like it was always I don't, i'm not too sure if it was like his kids that he had around or if it was um like cousins but there was always kids like it was there was just always family
2: okay so back to the day manny and david marmalejo came knocking on julie's door
1: they came knocking at the door and it was Gloria's do- uh, Gloria's son, David, and it was also another one of her older sons. And they both came in crying. Well, they were knocking, looking for their mother. They were asking if we've had any information um, and if um, we've seen her. The older brother, you can tell that they, well, he had been crying all day. He's been really sad. You know what? David seemed really quiet. He. It was, he was the one, he was in the back. He didn't say anything. He wasn't asking questions about his mom. It was more his older brother. And he was the one that, he was interacting with us more. But you can kind of see it in him. He seemed a little nervous.
3: So, Gloria is missing. And a little bit of background about her. She was 54 years old. And she essentially raised her two sons by herself. So, she was married Previously, but that marriage ended in 1979, and she was left alone to raise her son, David, who was nine years old, and Manny Jr., who was 13. Their father traveled a lot, so he never really ended up being in their lives after the divorce. David and Manny were really close growing up, but their age difference ended ended up separating them as they got older. And Gloria had a different relationship with each of the boys. She showed her youngest son, David, a lot of support. He needed more attention. So the family ended up catering to him a lot more than Manny Jr.
0: And in 2002, Gloria's ex-husband remarried. And his new wife had two children of her own. A teenage boy and a 10-year-old girl named Mariah. Now, the boys were adults at the time this happened. And they were about to start families of their own. And David had been in a relationship since middle school, and he eventually married this middle school sweetheart named Laura. They immediately start having kids. They have four total. But by 2006, David said he wanted out of the relationship. And because, uh, you know, he had sort of gotten married uh, so quickly, he never really had another girlfriend, his eyes start to wander. He leaves her and he moves to Hawaii. And for, for a while. And then he also goes to Phoenix before landing back at his mom's place in El Paso.
2: Right. And meanwhile, this is obviously information and background info about them spanning decades. Yeah. So this is just a kind of overview about this family. But Gloria, meanwhile, started a new chapter, retiring after 27 years of working really hard to support this family as a single mom. And after she retired, she essentially moved to Phoenix to be closer to her older son, Manny and his wife Jennifer and their four kids. So she was really splitting her time between Phoenix and El Paso. And Gloria's plans were to open a daycare with Manny's wife Jennifer. They had a really amazing relationship and they both love children. This is something they were going to pursue together. So that's the background info on this fam. So let's get back to the fact that Gloria is missing
3: and retrace the days leading up to her disappearance. So on Saturday, July 25th, 2009, Gloria was in Phoenix and decided to head back to her home in El Paso. Her son, Manny, tried to get her to stay with them. they were going to the lake with his family, but she declined and decided to continue with her plans heading to El Paso. She drove off in her red Hyundai SUV and she was set to arrive in El Paso at 5 p.m. based on when she left. Manny started calling his mother that evening to make sure she arrived okay. And he called her a bunch of times, but there was no answer. And he ended up calling his brother David and asked him if he saw his mom. David said that he saw her when she got in and he helped her bring her bags inside and told Manny that everything was normal. His mom was fine. And he left to go meet friends after that he saw her.
0: So the morning comes, and the next day her phone keeps going to voicemail. And it's not like Gloria to keep Manny out, out of the loop on what's going on. So Manny calls David again in the morning. David answers at 10.30. He asks David, where's mom? And he says, oh, I don't know, I never went home last night. So calls start ping-ponging between all of Gloria's family members. Where's Gloria? Where's Gloria? Where's mom? Where is she? No one had heard from her. And from Phoenix, Manny tries to call the El Paso PD to file missing person support. But they said that the report would have to be made by the last person who saw Gloria, which I think is kind of odd.
3: That is weird. Is that
2: like always? Uh, I've
0: never heard of that before. But
2: have you? No, but, you know, they're probably just like maybe they were just uh, putting him off like somebody here has to do it. You can't do this from yeah. a state away. I, yeah, I kind of you kind of don't know what's going on. Like, how do you know she's missing? She might not just be. Maybe she yeah. went you know, to anything. the store. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So at this point, Manny is freaking out. And he decides to come he's going to El Paso with his family to look for his mom. And by the time he gets to El Paso, and the whole family is there, Gloria's parents, cousins, siblings, and then they call the police. So
2: at Gloria's house, the detectives arrive to ask questions and take information pertaining to this missing person's report that they're getting. So David went over step by step his interactions with his mother the day she arrived in El Paso. And he said that on that Saturday, July twenty-fifth, the day his mother arrived. He was at the Carmichael Theater on the east side of town. He ended up receiving a call from his mother around 5 p.m. And he was surprised. He had no idea she was coming. So that's Mm -hmm. interesting. So, I mean, the background information is, is that she's living halfway in Phoenix and halfway in El Paso, and she's allowing David to stay there while she's not there. Right. So the idea here being that she wanted to drop in on him to see what was going on. Unannounced. See see how he was caring for the house. All that kind of stuff. So when she did arrive to the house, he was at the movies and she noticed when she got there, there was a lock on the door of her master bedroom. But she called David upset about. She wanted to be let into her bedroom, which seems reasonable. And so he kind of left in a hurry in the middle of a movie to go let his mom in. Right. So when he got there, you know, she was bitching at him for this stuff, understandably. So he left. and. That night, he didn't come home, and that's what he said on the phone to Manny. Like, when he answered the phone at 1030, I didn't go home.
3: So in Gloria's room, her suitcases sat untouched, and she had her cosmetics case sat zipped closed on the bathroom vanity, and this was super uncharacteristic of her because she usually unpacked and settled right in right away, and her red car was missing, and calls to her cell phone were going straight to voicemail, which is never a good sign. The police immediately confirmed David's story with his friends that he went to the movies with, so it all seemed to check out, but the word that she was missing was starting to spread through the neighborhood.
1: They were understood that she had gotten abducted, uh, because she she works out. Gloria Marmolejo, her morning routine was to get up. She would either walk to a middle school or she would drive, depending on the weather. So their mentality was, okay, she's abducted. We just need to see, you know, where did she go? So... I mean, that's what we were understood for a good while. Our de sack is, um, it's pretty much like on lockdown. You know, there's red tape and it was really hard to get in and get out because you had to like identify yourself. Um, there was like, it, it just seemed like there was a lot of chaos, there wasn't a lot of family there. Um, like I said, it was David little was the only one living there. So. I don't think anyone was allowed to go to the house. It was pretty much just a lot of detectives trying to figure out what had happened or what happened to her SUV.
0: So police start pressure testing theories. And while they're digging into Gloria's background, they learn that she was very religious. She loved God. She loved helping families, helping others. She loved helping her family. She had attended the University of Phoenix and got a degree from there. She worked for the Texas Workforce Commission for over 20 years. Where she served as the integrated service area manager, and after retirement, she went on to pursue a a, um, a new career as a real estate agent for Caldwell Banker. So there really wasn't anything that they found in her background, in her work, in her church that were going to leave them any leads that they could potentially smoke out.
2: Right, and her house actually it was this really cute A-frame house, and on kind of the roof over the porch, there was like a giant cross. I mean, this woman was like a God loving woman, you know, buttoned up, just a super solid person. So they weren't exactly like there was no red flags. And there's like no enemies to point to. Nothing. Nothing. So as police are speaking to all the family members, they start to pick up on the fact that there was kind of this family secret that people in the family were tiptoeing around because they're all in the same room like all the family was congregating. So as the police are questioning people, I assume, you know, people are kind of overhearing. And there seems to be something people are avoiding and uncomfortable about. So remember how we mentioned that Gloria's visit was unannounced. So she didn't tell David that she was coming because she wanted to catch David off guard and confirm a sneaking suspicion that she had been having. That David was in a sexual relationship with his stepsister. 15-year-old Mariah Wilson and that they were secretly living in Gloria's home together. And how old is he at the time? He's 27. Yeah. So, he's, so this, he's, is, this is, is not okay. No, this is... The stepsister thing is whatever. They're not blood-related, but the age difference in yeah. conjunction with that is disturbing. Well, yeah. that's
0: that rape then, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on the laws. Okay, let me look that up. It depends on the laws and depends on the state. But you see... Mariah had actually played a key role in causing the split between David and his middle school sweetheart, Laura. And over the years, as Mariah hit puberty and started to become a teenager, there started to be this very palpable tension, involvement between them that started to kind of evolve.
0: Um, In Texas, it is considered stature rape. Statutory rape to have sex with someone under the age of 17. However, there is a close in age exception that allows a person to have sex with someone under 17 as long as the older person is not more than three years older than the minor.
3: So we've got... How a, a when? Lot.
2: This was 2009.
0: Well, it is bad now. I'll find, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really bad. It's bad in general. It's bad It's, general. General. it's yes. bad no
2: matter what. This is a father Sick. of four.
3: A father of four. And ha- his children are probably closer in age than she is.
2: Oh... Mm. I think they're like six. He had his
3: first kid at 21. Still still around the same age difference. Around the same age difference. Yeah. Yeah, That's gross. Mm -hmm. So Gloria was right. David and Mariah had been in a sexual relationship for a while. It was on and off. And Gloria made it clear that she disapproved of this relationship and threatened to evict David if she found out that Mariah was living with him under Gloria's roof. So that's precisely why she came over to see what the hell was happening at her house so she had a problem with the relationship for all the obvious reasons there was the age difference he was being a total absentee father to his kids and obviously it was his stepsister and it's disgusting and gloria had been growing increasingly more frustrated with david She was chastising him for not getting his life together, not paying the bills at her home, and breaking promises to see his nephew in Arizona, as well as this relationship with Mariah. And she specifically asked Manny not to tell his brother that she was going to El Paso to see what was going on.
0: So Gloria's family keeps talking, and Gloria's mother, Mary, she tells the police that she had gone to the home looking for Gloria the first day she'd been missing, and she noticed something interesting. She noticed used women's underwear and a bank statement with Mariah's name on it at the house. So many people uh, uh, on the outside were I- admitted to the family that they were suspecting that, that Mariah was living here um, with David, but they didn't know for sure. David was constantly denying that he was not involved or statutory raping Mariah. So yeah, and okay, so we've had the, we, have a, we have a bank statement with Mariah's name on it at the house. We have used women's underwear. It's getting kind of obvious now what David is doing, and Mariah is at the house, living at the house.
2: Right. So, and it's at this point that police learn a little bit more about David. And at some point, as they're questioning him, and this is something you would notice after a few minutes, maybe, they notice that he's missing a leg. And he explained that he had become somewhat of a rebel after he split from his wife, Laura. He got a motorcycle, started doing wheelies all the time, became a daredevil. And lost one of his legs in a terrible accident that almost cost him his life. He continued that Gloria had been his rock through this entire thing and got him through that injury. And without her, I mean, he would have died, he thinks.
0: So he split from his wife, gets a motorcycle, gets into an accident, almost loses his life. His leg gets cut off. And then his mom is the one that's nursing him back to health. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. So... Police start going door to door to just talk to neighbors to see what they know about the family. I mean, what have they observed? Because it seems like this is a little soap opera going on under this roof. Yeah. So they knock on Julie's door.
0: And Julie, who said she saw a woman who was driving Gloria's car uh, the night she'd gone missing, and it wasn't Gloria.
1: The detectives actually came knocking on our door as well um, after they came in i ended up sharing that that night i was uh outside with a friend usually i i can't really sleep that night so um i would always be outside talking on the phone but this time i had a friend over and we were outside and i was we were parked by like the mailbox i was sitting on my friend's um on his trunk uh looking towards gloria Marmaleko's house and it was kind of it wasn't normal because you know, I, I realized that the garage doors were opening, but the car wasn't moving. It, it like, hesitated to leave, and then the next thing you know, it just drove off. But it did, it did take a while to fix the garage. Well, when I looked over, it appeared to be a woman. Um, that's what I saw driving the car. That's the only thing I was able to see, though. Know, it, it, it happened pretty fast.
2: All right, so according to Julie, she saw what looked like a woman driving Gloria's Hyundai in late night slash early morning, which I assume to be around like 3 a.m. Yeah. It's a little convoluted, but it was at an odd time. And she just assumed that it was Gloria driving her own car. She's back in town. And she said that Gloria was like an avid fitness person, like up early every morning exercising. It doesn't seem that crazy. So that's what she
3: assumed she was seeing. Then on Wednesday, July 29th, Gloria's car was found abandoned near an elementary school on the east side of El Paso. Her purse, including her keys and cell phone, were found inside her car. And this news of the discovery obviously horrified her entire family because nobody knew what the hell happened to her or where she was. The situation was extremely grim.
1: It was parked at a middle school. You know, as as strange as it sounds, I knew where the car was. But I wasn't sure if they knew that it was there. Um, like I mentioned, I, that, was her, that was her routine. She would go work out. So I kind of already, like the moment that they found out, like, oh, the car's that slider, a part of me was kind of like, oh, I already knew that. Like, I, I wish I could have shared that with them. Um, after that, they still couldn't figure out where she was. They didn't know if she was missing. They didn't know if she was even alive. Like, they just didn't know what was happening.
3: So the car was possessed for evidence by an EPPD crime scene technician, and he discovered hair samples in the interior of the vehicle that were consistent with Gloria's hair. So the police then conduct a search of her home, and they find a few curious things. They find some beads in her garage that look like they came from a necklace, as well as blood on a metal cabinet. The blood was in a smear, so it looked like it ended up being from somebody's hand, And the blood was sent to a police lab in El Paso. And the assumption was that the blood belonged to Gloria because obviously everybody thinks that something happened to her there. So the home was now a crime
0: scene. None of this is adding up for anything good. No. So Gloria's body was found along some New Mexico desert trails behind Santa Teresa Elementary School by a woman who was walking her dog. And her body was so badly decomposed that officers didn't know it was her right away but cuz it the, was
2: july it's
0: brutal and uh but the person found was wearing the same clothes that were fa- that were in Gloria's missing persons report so 3 days later the medical examiner in el paso confirms through her fingerprints that it was her obviously gloria's family is crushed no one had any idea, like, who would do this? Who would do this to her? She was just an incredibly wonderful, God-fearing person.
1: Not until we saw out the news that they had found a body in uh, New Mexico, uh, Santa Teresa, New Mexico, and um, they couldn't identify the woman. Um, so they, uh, that, that, That's where I started to find out a little bit more about her afterwards. I believe um they, I think it took them about a day or two to identify the woman. It ended up being, uh, after that, it, it did come out in the news that it was Gloria Marmolejo that was mur- that, that was found. I was really, that was sad. It's heartbreaking knowing, like, you know, this is one of my, like one of my neighbors, but she was a really nice lady, very religious. So I think everyone was pretty much devastated.
2: Gloria's autopsy revealed that she had been strangled to death, and she was choked so hard that her Larynx collapsed and her neck was left with the marks from the ligature used to kill her. So strangulation is something that if you are into true crime or that sort of thing, a lot of passion, a lot of intimacy, a lot of anger behind these sorts of murders. And what was interesting, though, and something not immediately noticeable, but something that came to them eventually, was that she didn't have any cuts So whose blood was in the garage? And if it's not Gloria's, you know, they were sure it was. They thought this was the crime scene, and now they're kind of confused, and the results hadn't come back yet. So a few days after the discovery of Gloria's body, a funeral was planned. The beginning of her, her obituary read, She lived such a beautiful life, loving and kind in all her ways, is how we will always remember our beautiful Gloria Marmalejo. Her love, compassion, and golden heart was always upright and just. She loved God, her family, everyone, and her funeral service was held at Abundant Living Faith Center, with interment to follow at the Evergreen East Cemetery. The end of the obit read, "Our hearts grieve deeply. The pain compares to no other." And there, at the funeral, Gloria's sons Manny and David, and um Gloria's brother released doves during the ceremony as they all sobbed. And all of her family and friends, everyone who knew her and loved her, were there. And it sounds so sad. So sad.
3: So soon after this, one of her sons, David, makes a really bizarre statement to a family member. And he was telling his family member that he was concerned that police would end up considering him a suspect because of a hug and a kiss that he had given Gloria which could result in DNA found on her. Mm. And so, well, this is this is a question. He obviously saw her right before she left. He admitted to seeing her. Mm-hmm. So if he had hugged and kissed her, like, or if anybody had been around her, their DNA is going to be on her. Right. So that can't he,
2: prove that. But that's what he's saying. He's like, you know, he's saying like, oh, I kissed my mom. Like, if I was the last person to see her and
3: they find my DNA, is it going to look bad? So... The results on the blood in the garage ended up coming back, and it revealed that the blood belonged to Mariah. And if you guys remember who she is, she was David's 15-year-old stepsister and girlfriend that Gloria was not stoked about. So things are becoming super murky, like what the fuck is going on? So police bring Mariah in for questioning, and she explains that the blood in the garage was a result of a fight that she had with David about a week prior to Gloria's return. Mariah admitted to the relationship that she had with David and also to living at Gloria's home with him. And she's talking to the police, and they notice that she has these large cuts on her knuckles. And she says that the cuts come from an accident at work. She was a waitress at Hooters, and she was explaining to them that she cut herself on a glass, which seems possible. The police were skeptical, but they called her manager, and they were able to confirm that her explanation was apparently true. Okay, so this is interesting. If we're thinking
2: about this from the cop's perspective, they're kind of like, ooh, star-crossed lovers. Her blood is here. He's weird. Like, she's a child. Like, what do you think their brains are doing? Or was she abducted going to work out?
0: No. I think they know. I think they're getting there.
3: I mean the blood in the garage is weird.
0: The blood having but the, the blood. blood... In... She's
3: a little kid like she's little. No, that's weird. Like it's weird how young she is. But the but it's weird. So she says that the blood she cut herself at Hooter's, but then was she just dripping all over the place when she got home? Well, she said that was from a fight. So maybe it's like she and then she
2: you know, reopened, know, maybe the, she reopened the wound she or something. It, like that. Maybe yeah. they violently fight. I mean, who knows? But the interesting thing here is so her body was taken to new mexico like i don't think a kid and she is a kid carrying a body like i don't know it seems like a stretch but who knows i don't think the cops know what the fuck they're dealing with it's a giant puzzle right now
0: so at this point they're noticing the inconsistencies in david's story and the fact that he was the last one to see gloria alive they're starting to get it
1: because um, after, I guess, when they found her body, of course, they started to put two and two together and they started to, I guess, realize that David was the reason why she died. So, I mean, if they wouldn't have known that, I'm not too sure how afraid I would have been because, I mean, I'm, I feel like he saw me that night. Like, I know for a fact he saw me outside that night. So, see, that scared me a little bit. I didn't know if he was going to, like, come to my house. You know, like, it's just stuff... The don't
0: know. And the police, they've heard this the story about the stepsister. They start piecing the story together. Gloria's blood in the garage, along with those beads that were from a necklace, reflected that there very well could have been a struggle in the garage. So what they're looking at now, because the blood is from Mariah, could Mariah have been responsible for murdering Gloria? Because Mariah is the one in the car. And it's Mariah's blood. So, you know, as a police officer, you're going to go straight at Mariah. And I have a feeling they're thinking that would Mariah have done this all by herself? They're going to start to lean on her.
2: So since the discovery of Gloria's body, the police had pulled Mariah and David's cell phone records just to see kind of what was going on and to see if their cell phone activity would corroborate their stories. So they noticed that David's cell phone had pinged from a tower. That was approximately four miles from where Flora's body was found. And this didn't fit with this story. David said that he was asleep starting at 10 p.m. during the window of time and made no mention of a drive to New Mexico. Um, and they were pinging calls that happened at 137 and 452, close to this tower in New Mexico.
3: And how far away was that from him again? I actually
2: don't know the distance between El Paso and... The state border of New Mexico. I don't think it's that. It's not that far. far. You know, if it's in another state, like he would have mentioned. Hey, actually, oh, by the way, in the middle of the night, I drove to New Mexico in the middle of the night.
3: So police are starting to suspect that either David or David and Mariah together are responsible for Gloria's murder. All signs are pointing their way. So they bring Mariah in for interrogation, and they start pressing her pretty hard. She eventually breaks down and spills everything with the promise, promise of full immunity. She admits tensions were rising over their relationship and Gloria was about to kick them both out of the house. And the next details ended up being pretty horrifying to police. She told police that she had been at the movies with David and their friends when Gloria called David after her surprise arrival at their home. David left and said that he'd be back in an hour, but he disappeared for nearly 4 hours. 4 hours. Four out. Yeah, one turned to four pretty quick. Mm -hmm. She texted him asking where he was, and he said that he was simply, quote, taking care of business. She said at that point that she felt that David was up to something, but she didn't know exactly what he was doing. And when she met him back at the home, David coached her on how to answer certain questions and told her to stick to the story that he was going to tell her. And she was afraid of David and initially was complying.
0: Right, so she's going to be afraid of David, but once she gets into that interrogation room and she's talking to the police, she's going to turn, and the and the police know that. Yeah, she's she's young. Um, they're they're going to lean on her. So the police are leaning on Mariah, and then she this is what he what she says to him. So she spills, at least a bit of it. She said that David told her he killed his mother. On the way back to Gloria's east side home, after leaving the movies, David admitted that he did the deed. He said, he's, this is what he told, uh, she told them. Quote, he's telling me he killed his mom. You don't expect someone to say that and go, oh, really? He kept saying he did it. He did it. I didn't believe it at first. It's David. She then described what happened on the day that Gloria disappeared. When she and David arrived at Gloria's house, quote, That's when he's telling me his plan of what he's going to do to make it seem like she was leaving for a walk and that she was abducted from there. He's still insisting he did it, and he says, I'm not going to show you her body. And she says, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm sitting in a room, and I know she's supposed to be here, and that he did it. Then they leave the home briefly and drive around to nearby neighborhoods that were under construction. And she says, he takes me to a dumpster and says, that's where I was going to put you and Laura at one point.
3: Laura's the ex-wife.
0: Jesus. And she said she was scared to death. Yeah. When they get back to the house, David has Mariah sit on the floor while David explained how he killed his mother. So this is what Mariah tells the police. So the police are there. Uh, This is not the whole story, though, but the police are close.
3: everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries estate State Island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and android fuel up fast with factors restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and
2: eat whenever you are no prepping no cooking or cleanup needed there's over 35 different options to choose from every week including calorie smart protein plus and keto and there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factors meals are protein packed and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash degree 50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash degree 50 to get 50% off. So, she continues. She said of what happened. He said he did get there to open the locked master bedroom door, which is originally why Gloria summoned him to Mm -hmm. the house. They started arguing. He punched her in the back of the head. She hit her head on the door as she fell. He blacked out, quote unquote, and when he woke up, he had a belt around her neck and one foot on her back and kept pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. He then said that when she hit her head on the door, she started bleeding. He poured mustard all over the stains. Mariah continued about how David cleaned up the scene. We started cleaning. He took a screwdriver and cleaned leftover blood spots in the grout between tile. I grabbed the bathroom mats from the dryer. We flipped them over and started picking off the rubber that had stains and this is in reference to grout as well. You know how there's cock like in cracks mm-hmm. and things like that. He then grabbed one of Gloria's shoes and smacked Gloria in the head with it. And he said that when he was choking her, he had one foot on her back and he wanted a smaller footprint to throw them off. To me, it sounds like he's trying to flame Frame Mariah. Yeah, if you have a woman's shoe, you're trying to make a smaller footprint for what? Yeah, who the woman? Who would it shoe? be? God damn it! So, David then used black painters' plastic to wrap up Gloria's body, and used wire hangers that he unhooked in a belt to hold all the plastic together. As he dragged the body to the car, a hand, one of Gloria's hands, fell out, and he tucked it back in. Then they left the house and drove around looking for a place to dispose of Gloria's body. She said, we were driving around everywhere aimlessly. When we exited, he was looking for a canal. But everywhere we went, he was afraid somebody would see us. I'm pretty scared we're going to get pulled over. And I just want to make him think everything is okay between the two of us. Probably so he doesn't turn on her. I
3: mean, that has to be the most terrifying thing ever. he He
0: just killed his own mother.
3: And she's so young. Like, you don't, you're, you know, I can't imagine what was going through in her brain. Like, how do you defend yourself? What do you, like, do you comply with the person? Not only that, she's got this strange
2: relationship where it's like her romantic something, but also her brother since she's 10. Right. That's what, when she said, like, it's David. Like, that's yeah. my brother. You know, like,
3: oh. Christmas is, it's just probably very weird. Confusing. Yeah. So at one point when they were driving around, they stopped at a gas station, and Mariah used David's cash to pay for gas inside the convenience store. I'm sure the police were asking her why she didn't ask for help when she was inside the gas station, and she said that she was in love with David and didn't want to get him into trouble. So again, like, the confusion there. Well, he's, he's manipulative. He's a predator. Oh, for sure. So it's like, she, yeah, he's been grooming her since she was a, like a, a, 11 years old. Yeah, like a young child. As they left the desert, David told her to drive really slow and he sat on the trunk and he was trying to fan out the tire trails. And they didn't talk much on the drive back to Gloria's house and Mariah was starting to think that she was next. When they were back at the house, David tried to lighten the mood. She said that he asked for oral sex, but he wasn't serious. He laughed and she said that he was just kidding, Just fucking terrifying. Mariah said that they got into several flights over moving Gloria's car, and those were the phone calls that happened between 530 and 6 in the morning the following day. She said that he yelled at her because he thought people had seen him, and he also was saying that he should have worn pants because he, people would have seen his prosthetic leg.
0: So Mariah also comes clean about how he and Shaved went from step-siblings to a relationship, which it was, which was in her terms. She said it happened on a trip from Phoenix to El Paso. She said it was on July 5th,
2: 2005. Wait, let's do the math.
0: 2005.
2: This is 2009. And she's 15. In 2009? So 2005, she's 11? (sighs) Right? I I mean, I pulled this from the appeal, so it's not like we made it up.
0: So he started touching me. They, they'd they known each other since she was 11, and she got pregnant by him during her freshman year in high school, which means that she was 14. She had his baby at 15 and gave the baby boy up for adoption. So icky. So now this guy obviously is a predator, and he saw it, it's... This is really one of the more twisted cases that we've done because the idea that his mother and he had a good relationship with his mother. His mother took Very care close. of him. His mother took care of him when his when his uh foot uh got chopped off or his, his leg got chopped off. I mean, and the oh, fact no, his that his mother he just let him
2: live for free in her home, let the his wife Laura and their four kids move in with her so they could stay for a house. I mean, they I think consistently had a good relationship. And that's the part. baffling part yeah.
3: of
0: this so after they have everything they need from mariah they get a warrant for his arrest and on september 4th 2009 he's arrested so when he was being walked out to a police car a reporter asks him a question he says mom i love you with all my heart please help me
1: it actually was. I think so. It's crazy, but at the same time, it's more like, wow, like, you really did that to your mom. I think that's what hurts. It's like, his mom was, like I said, a really nice lady. You know what? To me, I'm like, really? Like, your stepsister, like, there's so many other women out there, and you're going to kill your mom over her? Like, I don't think it was worth it.
3: Um... I'm wondering how long this time was before they started questioning her and they actually arrest him. And are they in contact during that time? Because that has to be so uncomfortable and scary for Mariah.
2: So she basically, when she cracked, it was when she was offered immunity. So I'm sure after that point, I am sure after that, are they protecting her like police? Well, I think, I mean, once he's in custody, she's fine. But I
3: think that after
2: this happened,
3: she was probably like, oh, fuck. Like, but then he could find I don't know. Is, that's just like a scary place to be. No, And the uh, in-between in like limbo of, yeah, you no. know, he did it and he could kill me too. Sure.
0: No. I understand what you're saying. But I think that uh, they, I imagine what they probably would have said, especially if she was saying that she was scaring, scared for her life. Okay, you stay here. We've got an arrest warrant for him. We're going to go pick him up right now.
3: Right.
2: And to answer your question, I mean, she went missing on July 25th, arrested September 4th.
3: So, so that's a whole two month, month and a half. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean. Six weeks, eight, seven weeks, whatever, which is kind of speedy considering. I mean, it took uh, over a week to find her, so you know, and then just they had to probably process that DNA evidence, right? Ryan's blood, but yeah, to be a fly on a wall of their conversations between the when she confessed. Lord, I don't know because I'm sure. No, of, for
0: like, a fi- I mean, for a fifteen year old, to be stakes. to be it's it's high stakes. It's also. She's
3: a um, kid. She's a child. But am I, do you think that they're still talking and seeing each other during that time? I don't know. They were talking and seeing each other before. Probably not like because the... he was probably
2: not trying to upset his family and attract attention. Mm-hmm. So I would say just in like self-preservation, probably yeah. not.
0: I agree because on his he, accord. he mm-hmm. was, he was doing so much to, I mean the idea that he had her drive the car while he sat on the trunk and then used his feet to, to try and fan out, and the fan out all marks? the tire marks. That's ridiculous. That's so
3: even he... more like telling. <laughs> he was <laughs> like really. There's like swervy foot marks <laughs> on the tires. Yeah, I... No, he, he was, he
0: was, he, he knew what he, obviously that shows that, you know, what you're doing was wrong. You know that you're trying to cover it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a feeling that Alexis is right, that he would want to distance him. Some... This is diss himself. himself but,
2: yeah. yeah. Just to not seem so guilty. Yeah. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French, and it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten, and I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app. With audio companion and ability to download lessons offline.
3: Dot com and use code first for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's alomoves.com, code first, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S dot code first. So, you know, after all this is happening, David is feeling the walls closing in on him and he started hearing whispers that an arrest was impending So he took it upon himself and turned himself in. He was held on $1 million bond, and as he was being led to jail, he told TV reporters that he loved his mother, like Billy said. Following his arrest, he was administered the Miranda warnings, and he voluntarily waived his rights as he was questioned by detectives. He gave a statement about the inconsistencies in the story and the events surrounding Gloria's murder, and he completely denied what Mariah said her version of
0: events were. So this is one of those perps that's going to come in and think, I can outsmart them. them. I can outsmart them. Idiot.
2: So this arrest shocked the Marmalejo family. They were extremely close, which I think Julia's mentioned in her interview. Um, They loved David. Like, you know, they just, I mean, I don't think any of them ever saw anything like this coming within their close God-loving family and the family members characterized David as being a caring father a respectful son you know who was loving and they could never see him doing something like this but the police describe him as a brutal rapist who imposed control on victims And I know you're thinking, okay, rapist. I know we've talked about Mariah and the statutory implications with her, but there's more. We're getting there. So the arrest shocked the bulk of David's family, but the arrest didn't shock David's ex-wife. David's 27-year-old ex-wife, Laura, said that she was not surprised when she learned about his arrest and the charges against him. Which sounds alarming. I mean, this is the mother of his four children. Yeah, she's not
3: shocked that, yeah. But
2: she said that while she was still married to him, he started as a normal person. Describing their relationship around the time of their first child, this is how she characterized it. It was like me and him against the world. We were so young. With both of us having a baby so young, he took full responsibility. He was normal, a good dad and everything else. A few years later, David Laura and his young family moved to Phoenix where his father lived the stepfather of Mariah Mm -hmm.
0: so his work took him to San Luis Obispo, California Flagstaff, Arizona and Hawaii and a couple times he also went to Yuma, Arizona David and Laura planned on buying a house in 2004 but to save money the couple and their children and they had three at the time they moved back to El Paso and lived with Gloria but David stayed alone to work in Phoenix sketchy but the most notable shift is. Oh, in sorry, David. Billy, you do that. Billy yeah, <laughs> <I> does. <that. laughs> like, um, my, my kids are grown, Still though. His yeah. <laughs> kids are grown up.
2: And, you guys all, and, I, and I own a house. So. And you guys all jet set around and visit each other. Right? And, yeah, I, and I own a house. So. Sorry. Yeah. Good for you.
0: Good for you. You got a house
2: and an apartment. Yes. And- but you own a house in Phoenix. Phoenix houses are cheap.
0: Not my house. Is it? Oh, no, I- I'm still paying it off.
2: Maybe one day we'll never get to go. <laughs> 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 nope. <laughs> you might. You and Jerry probably will. Yeah.
0: We'll have you over for a barbecue. Oh. It's actually a very like big kind of like it has a great party layout. Oh, but we're like so. Open... We, yeah, it totally has that. But we don't like people. So, But she also noticed a shift in David after his motorcycle crash when he lost his leg.
3: Laura also said that she knew about the attraction between Mariah and David even before the split, which has to be the weirdest thing to notice between somebody and their st- step sister. She said it was just the way that she acted towards him. It was kind of like if you see a little girl, kind of like a fatal attraction. It was just so eerie to me because she was always with us. She was like our daughter. Ugh. And when Mar- when Mariah went through puberty, She said that the relationship between David and her started to change. The entire family suspected the relationship. It just made them all feel uncomfortable and rightfully so. It reminds Mm -hmm. me
2: of Teacher's Pet.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's like,
2: oh, it's right under your nose, but it's so crazy. That it would like, it's too insane to believe. if you suggest it, you're a psycho. Right. Because that's disgusting. But like, we're actually doing it. Right. And he's a predator. I mean, Mariah was groomed by him. Since she was 10. I'm just, you know, this is no way me saying she was a willing participant. Absolutely. Um so while David was left to his own devices in Phoenix, there were odd, sinister, ominous things that happened. Laura said little by little I started realizing things that would happen that were out of character when I wasn't around. This is in reference to David. Laura learned of rape allegations against her husband between December 2005 and February of 2006. In March 2006, David was arrested on suspicion of viciously raping and robbing four women, sex workers from Van Buren Street in Phoenix.
0: Yeah, Van Buren Street in Phoenix is the road is no, was was originally known as the capital of the of in the universe of motels, there was like 140 motels on this road. Oh, really? It was the entry point into Phoenix. Mm. But remember the movie Cars from Pixar? Mm-hmm. They built the, uh, you know, they went around Route 66 and they built the, uh, you know, a highway, and then nobody went to the Cars Land anymore. But just oh, think yeah. about that. Think about if this happened in Cars. So they go around, they build the the 10 Highway, which is the one that's right out here in LA on Van Buren. All the motels go into disrepair, and then it becomes a haven for drugs and sex workers. Interesting. And, that, and that's what happens. So,
2: Especially if it's like the mouth of the city, like Phoenix, it's like truckers and mm-hmm. transients and... People so on vacations or on the way to bachelor parties, and it's the like, only. It's it. the
0: only stop in between. You know, it's te- like the Barstow, te- Texas, and L.A. It's like the Barstow that, of it, yeah. Vegas. Yeah, on your way to Vegas, yeah. whatever.
3: But Van, B- so there's the Van Buren venue there that I've been to. That's obviously on Van Buren Street. Yeah, right? but it's but it's 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 like it's not n- quite nicer. east. It's
0: in a nicer kind of area. Yeah. more like hipster type area. Yeah, but yeah. Jack mm-hmm. would
3: go to a hipster area. Yeah,
0: I was seeing Jared's show. Oh well,
2: yeah. <laughs> hey Jerry. So. When David was confronted with these allegations, he denied them in an interview with a Phoenix detective. He told the police that he had not been with a prostitute before in Phoenix, only in Las Vegas. But when detectives told him that all four women reported being raped by a man in a two door white Mitsubishi Eclipse who had the word faith tattooed on his neck, (laughs) David began to change his story. Can we talk about what a douche canoe David is? Yeah. Well, I mean, number one, it's not Clips.
3: Eclipse is a girl car. <laughs> and Eclipse is the car that I wanted when I was 13 years same, old. Same, same. I was like, look Wait, at that what spoiler. color is that?
2: White. Oh, I wanted like a turquoise one. No, but like the spoiler, I was like, that's, it's girly. It's tight. Yeah. And then <laughs> the faith tattoo, like, he's like a male basic bitch. Yeah. With a neck tattoo.
0: So he first tells police that he he had picked up 10 prostitutes during his time in Phoenix. Then he said, okay, no, wait a minute. Okay, wait, minute. it was 11. But he continues to, n- to deny raping them, and this happens a lot, and this is what he says. When asked why each victim told police that he robbed and raped them at gunpoint, he said that, you know, sometimes he would shortchange the prostitutes. He said that when he would pick up the women, the women are usually drunk or on drugs, so then he would throw them up a like rolled up $1 bill or a $10 bill after sex, which is called like a Bronx roll where you see it, where you sort of like, you know, you, um, you see that sometimes where you put a 20 and then you put five like singles and it looks like, Oh, it's a hundred dollars. yeah, it's like that kind of thing. So I'm that, that's what dick. he, was, that's what he was saying. He was, he was doing. And some of the women reported the crimes immediately. Others waited several days, but the women who waited to report the assaults told authorities that they didn't believe anything would be done because they were sex workers. Mm -hmm. And you see this, honestly, this happens so much.
2: And all the people who are anti-sex worker hire sex workers. Most men I know have, have admitted to me, not even with shame that they have hired sex workers before throughout their life. At one point, whether it's a bachelor party or they were in Thailand or this, Or at a massage. Like, I'm, it is so common. And the fact that they don't get any support or protection, the the, support from law enforcement is crazy.
0: It's one of the worst things that you see in law enforcement. It's starting to open up. And I think there are certain detectives that know that, that, that there are some sex workers that can be allies for them. Uh, there are definitely a lot of sex workers. Most of them are victims. There are other victims of guys that will come in and, um, and try to eventually you know really take over their business. It's essentially a fucking hostile takeover what they do. Yeah. One of the uh um uh, vice cops that I know they would set up a you know you see these um these stings for johns. So they set up a, a a woman who's saying that she's uh looking for dates. Guys come to the hotel. They'll might pick up eight guys and there's these guys that are just looking for dates with this girl, but these other uh guys will come in and there are two types of pimps. And there are pimps that see a, there's a new woman or a new girl in town. What are they going to do? There's two types of pimps. There's first is the Romeo pimp. The Romeo pimp comes in and says, baby, I'm going to take care of you. You're, you know, Everything's going to be great. It's like We're gonna there's be, love yeah. involved. Exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there's what they, and they actually call it the gorilla pimp. And the gorilla pimp will come in and actually attack the woman, beat the hell out of her, and say, yes, you're mine now. This happens. And it Jesus. happens a lot. And, uh, you know, it's starting to open up now. Uh, talking with um, police are starting to realize that a lot of these women are not doing it for any kind of a lifestyle choice. They're doing it because they have become addicted. They've become addicted on. Just desperation. On op- yeah. Or on they opioids. have to.
2: Or, I mean, if they're from another, like, they steal passports. They steal IDs and cell phones where it's like, tra- like, you're not going out of my sight. Yeah. What yeah. are you do? You don't have a cell phone or any money. No, you have no way to escape. I took your wallet. I took your credit cards. Like you'd have to really, literally run from me yeah. down a highway yeah. to escape. So and, and then uh, what? Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So one of the women who was twenty-two years old, she said that David had pointed a gun to her and said, and pointed a gun right at her and said, "You're gonna do what I want you to do, or I'll effing and shoot you." And he raped her struck her in the face again with the gun and stole hundred fifty dollars from her, according to the police reports
3: and he lured and lured another woman into his car when he backed into a pole at a gas station the twenty year old and did Please, he do let me stop your hook that's just opportunistic, like right he just saw a girl after he like
2: backed a car, you know his car I mean well then, just, no, you're
3: talking about this The what I'm just talking about yeah, so I'm like did he did he back a car on purpose because he saw a girl maybe like did you do that though? I don't I know. know that's the thing I think it was like but like he... or is it like a Ted Bundy kind of thing where it's like can you help me with this
0: mm. I don't know no I, I, he's got a gun he's not doing it like Bundy right I,
3: I think it's like he saw a hot girl who was
2: like are you okay and, and then... he's like
3: oh well this sounds good for me yeah
2: it sounds like he's like an, a mood swing operator like he's I mean the thing with his mom real quick I have we haven't gotten to this the thing with his mom didn't sound premeditated to me no so I think he's just like a moody fuckhead like that and, just reacts
3: extremely violently. Yeah.
2: And it's like, I mean, the writings on the wall with Mariah saying that blood smear is from a fight with David a few weeks before.
3: Yeah. Not shocking.
2: And she's 15 and it's her brother. So like your brother beats you up. Like, I think she's got this very skewed perception of like what's OK. Yeah. Because your older brother kind of like runs the show. Your older brother is protective and controlling and like can throw you around like mean older brothers. I don't know. I wrestled with my little sister. Like we were fucking kids. I don't know. I think it's, it fucked everything up
3: Yeah, as far as like what's, what's okay. And what's not okay. No, for sure. So like I said, he lured this woman into his car when he backed into a pole to gas station, she walked up and asked if he was okay. And that's when he pointed a gun at her, forced her into the car and told her quote, Keep a smile on your face. I'm in control now. If you move or anything, I'll blow your head off. And this was similar to a lot of the other cases that women were reporting. So he was arrested for investigation of four counts of kidnapping, four counts of armed robbery, and ten counts of sexual assault. And there were ten sexual assault charges because each woman was raped in different ways.
2: So his ex-wife, Laura, claimed that at the time, she didn't know much about the rape. They had already been separated at this point and living separately when it started. So she didn't, know the rape, she didn't know about the rape or really the kidnapping allegations. She said, at the time when I found out, the family pretty much kept it all under wraps and I really didn't know what was going on. As far as I knew, it was just robberies. And she found out the whole story later. But this offers an interesting peek inside of this family in that, like, everybody, coddles david yeah david is being given the benefit of the doubt over and over and over despite yeah our people are just like kind of like despite the shit with his stepsister and leaving his wife and having four kids and making that being a making sh- his mom shithead. live with his wife and four kids while he fucked off and wherever he was like it just sounds like they're making a lot of excuses for him i don't know um laura continued he had moments where he would snap. You never knew what David was capable of. He would make you believe what he wanted you to believe or what he needed you to believe. So at the time all of these rapes occurred or these, you know, these rape allegations manifested, no charges were filed. And apparently this was because the victims couldn't be located and it would have been impossible to make a case without them. But... It it gets even worse because if you actually go into Google hole and look at this case, they said that all these women were dead. Oh god! And whether that's true, it's conflicting. Like I think some of them are. They bring this up later.
0: Yeah, well, they're going to bring it up though. I mean, listen, I don't want to throw shade on them, but I'm gonna the throw
2: the shade, Billy. <sighs> Spill the tea.
0: Of course, but because 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 they're going to say that. Oh, you know what? We tried to prosecute him. Obviously, he was dangerous. But you know, and this woman, his mom, but but ten women are dead, and we couldn't find them, so we couldn't prosecute him. If you just say we couldn't find them, people are going to say immediately, "Well, you didn't look hard enough." Yeah, which they probably didn't. So then they're going to say, "Well, you know what? They're all dead. That's the reason why this woman is dead because Gloria would be alive if they would have put this guy away."
1: The trial started to happen, but, you know, course the news, little by little, it started to, like, expose him. It started talking about, like, his criminal charges back in Arizona. So that's where it kind of got a little bit more, like, like scarier with him. I mean, these people, I mean, him, like, most definitely, he looked like a normal guy. He There was always family, you know, That he was always around family. He was always around kids, you know. And honestly, like, he was really good with kids. That's what you see, but then... You hear what he did to his mom, and it it is kind of scary. A heartless person, I mean, to his own mother, like, he had no heart. He is crazy. I mean, I saw the pictures of him crying and really seeing the dove, and to me, like, that's not normal. Like, there's something mentally wrong with him. I think the most vivid moment for me is not the detective, but when he showed up with his brother looking for his mom. Like I'll never forget that. I mean you know, you I mean you never know. Like I mean this man is over here crying looking for his mom, like asking for help and at the end of the day like he has it like in the back of his mind, like I'm the one that stumped my mom. Like he knows for his mom that. But he's over here knocking at people's doors asking for help. That is I think that that's just crazy.
0: So once he's in custody for Gloria's murder The violent rape cases from Phoenix are put back in the spotlight, and charges are actually finally filed. And there's actually more. In a completely separate investigation, police start questioning David about the Arizona baseline murders, which was a serial killing um, that was along uh, South Phoenix, uh, which was from Van Buren. It's probably like two miles away. Another man, Mark Godot, was later arrested in connection with nine of the baseline slayings, and David walked away. David did not get um
1: So what's up with the
2: baseline murders?
0: So the baseline killer uh, was a guy that around 2005, he was committing sexual assaults and then homicides all over, sort of uh, around the area of Baseline Road, which is south, uh, kind of south of Phoenix. And in one case... Um, and I'm going to read this directly from Wikipedia while walking home from a Phoenix city park at night, two sisters, one of whom was clearly pregnant were approached by Godot who was armed with a gun. He sexually assaulted one of the sisters while pushing the gun into the other sister's pregnant belly. He was arrested one year later when DNA evidence found um, uh, on the woman matched his profile. And that was actually the breakthrough that led to the arrest of the, of the uh, baseline killer investigation. So he was, he was, going off and killing a ton of people is actually right before I got to Phoenix. It was probably a year before I got there.
3: That is so messed up. So fucked up. After all this, David's trial finally approached and Gloria's family was super deeply divided at the trial. One section believed that David did it and then the other half thought that it was Mariah. So nobody could really come to a conclusion of who they thought it was. Mariah was testifying against David in exchange for total immunity. Which you always have to call in a question, but she is a child.
2: No.
0: Y- y- yeah. yeah.
3: No, there's no <laughs>
2: doubt that she is a victim in this situation. You're just saying yeah. in general, if somebody testifying for 100%, total immunity. But yeah. the, the thing is, it's like she's a victim, but she could also have been involved. Yeah. In, her involvement in would have been contingent. It would have been a result of being a victim. Like right. she's coerced and he's yeah. got this total control over her. I do not think she's responsible in any way. Right.
3: So there was a cast of characters who were cla- who were called as witnesses for both the prosecution and defense, including family members, forensic ex- experts, FBI agents. And her first degree, Julie, had to testify during the trial, too, and face David in court.
1: Scary, I'll tell you that, because, you know, the moment you sit there, they'll ask you, of course, the first question. Can you point out who David Marmolejo is? So of course you have to point at him. And then they'll ask, okay, can you please identify a piece of clothing that he's wearing? Of course, just to make sure that I'm talking about the same person. And he's just staring at you. Like, and he has that one, like his stare is like really intimidating. It's scary. I think it's just how he looks. Um, I see, I believe on his, I'm not sure if it's the right or the left side, he has like a lazy eye. So it kind of looks, it just looks a little freaky. From what I am understood is that the family was divided. So you had some people that that they did support him. The, their their mentality is Mariah did it, Mariah did it. Like, they think Mariah is the one that murdered, you know, their mom, their sister. Um, and then you have the other side of the family where they're like, no, like they David's the one that killed their mom. So yeah, that they were pretty, they, I, I'm not sure if they're divided till this day, but I know there was, some um, I know they were for a while. Mm, that's a hard one. I mean I I feel like she helped. I don't know if she did it though. I just feel like she probably went and helped him dispose of the body. I think she should have served time as well. maybe not as much as him, but they should have given him something.
3: The prosecutors intended to use the vast evidence against David to prove their case, and the defense pointed their finger squarely at Mariah as a murderer of Gloria. Manny, who is David's brother, cried when he took the stand as he recounted the last time he saw his mother, because if you guys remember he was kind of begging his mom to go to the lake. Come with, with us him. to the
2: lake, and she's like, No, no, and yeah. he was oh, like
3: that has to like haunt you.
2: You know though, his brother is a fucking wrecking
3: ball. Like yeah.
2: Whoever, you know, and we didn't bring this up because honestly, there are a million fucked up things this guy did. But Laura had all these accounts of all these domestic abuse, uh, abuse situations. Mariah, I mean. Had a bloody palm print in her in the house like this guy's a violent guy. Yeah. So after each side argued their case, it took the jury only three hours to find David Marmalejo, who at this time was 31 years old, guilty of murder in the July 2009 strangling death of his mother, Gloria Marmalejo. And after the sentence was read, he took a deep sigh, but showed little emotion other than that. Family members said that they won't receive any closure until he acknowledges that he did in fact commit the crime. Up until this point, he continued to deny his involvement and has never waned in that regard. He said, then, I still maintain my innocence, sir. I don't mind going to prison for something I did, but I didn't commit this crime. He was given 54 years, every year represented a year Gloria had, and she was 54 when she died. He will be eligible for parole after serving 27 years in prison, and he was going to be credited for the year and six months he spent in jail awaiting trial. Manny, the older brother, said, he took my mom away from me. I know somewhere at the bottom of my heart there's still love for him, but I can't find that right now.
0: And then later, he pled guilty to only three counts of sexual assault and to three lesser charges of attempted sexual assault, and all the other charges against him were dismissed.
2: And that was in regards to these uh, rape the charges Phoenix. in Phoenix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, you guys, that there's a lot to unpack. There
3: is a lot to unpack. That's a f- what a fucking. I think That's I shit. think we
2: should all go around and talk about though, like <laughs> the most glaring and interesting. Indifferent thing about this case, and that's the thing. Like when I say interesting, it's not like a riveting. I. It's more just like this has a lot of disturbing components that I've never seen before.
0: I mean, having a uh, knowing that your illicit relationship slash statutory rape of your stepsister is being discovered by your mother. Your mother's coming back to catch you, kind of in the act, Mm -hmm. and then your response to that is to kill her is something that I can't remember a case that's like that
2: what's interesting is so they casually I mean in I mean you guys also like when when we were we we researched these cases I mean the child abort the child adoption of Mariah was like an afterthought it was like a footnote in an article and I was like that's huge. When wait, what do you, wait, the... She got pregnant, she got had the pregnant, baby, yeah. and gave it up for adoption. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, how is that a footnote in this story? It's insane. Because this girl was pregnant, nine months pregnant, gave birth, and gave up this baby. So that's a big deal. And what age was that again? 15. So around this, the same year. The t-
3: yeah, the time that this was happening.
2: So I'm just like, the media is manipulating the information, or... I mean, because maybe that... I don't really know. But my my biggest thing um i think this amputation really messed with him whether it was like he was actually a good-looking guy if you look at pictures of him Mm i mean he's got a handsome face he's tall and i think like part of him was like holy shit i'm like fucked up
3: now do you think he felt like emasculated from i think
2: we were all everyone we were in a group chat texting about this earlier i thought it was an emasculation thing like a piece of me is missing i got a let people know i'm not fucking around i'm still still a tough man yeah and i think uh he got really domineering and controlling and mean i don't know but i think you have to have this in you Um, yeah i mean it's not like and billy is a man so his response not to speak for you but you can elaborate once i'm done was maybe she just pissed he couldn't do stuff because
3: Billy's practical, <laughs> it's such a man response. Yeah, he's like, maybe. but he was a man too, so maybe it is more of a practical response. Well, listen,
0: I mean, if he he was an able-bodied guy, he used to um, go around and do things and ride his bike and everything like that. Not you know, getting those things taken away from you
3: is a big deal
0: is a big deal i mean being able to but
3: that's not going to turn you into a murderer. but
0: it's not exactly if that's you don't have going, that already within is that you it's not going to turn you into a murderer <laughs> yeah it'll turn you into an alcoholic or something else or you might very well just be able to cope with it this guy had something in him um and we learned that it, it, it seems like i know i know laura had said that there were things that changed in him afterwards but
3: it just like makes me think of like CTE and I know it's not that, but, but that's the first thing I thought of too, but I couldn't find any evidence and I looked I, was, I
2: couldn't find any evidence that he hurt his head. Yeah. But the idea that like you would be so hurt enough where your leg would need to be amputated. It'll rattle your brain around a little bit yeah, because you it, get a concussion from a yeah. a linebacker hitting you in high school. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. It sure, reminds
0: me of Johnny Lewis. Yeah. You know, yeah. 100, Johnny Lewis 100%. That, yeah.
2: But you know, there's little, I mean, he was fine, but. I mean, concu- I, you can get a concussion from falling down the stairs.
3: Yeah. You
2: I'm sure. You could have sure. had 50. Maybe you and, and con- like could have beat each other. up. You can up get a kids.
0: concussion just by banging your head into stuff, which I know because being 6'4, <laughs> I know. I, I bang my, my head into a lot of stuff. What if you have CTE from walking into doorways? Luckily, <laughs> his know, it, wife is during it. it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So
3: he's under close observation. <laughs> could not be in a better position. No, but it's like, I guess you never know. Yeah, he was, if you're in a motorcycle accident that's bad enough to amputate your leg, I'm sure your head got bashed around a bit.
2: 100%. Yeah. But so for me, I mean, Jack, we each weighed on on ours. That was for me. The, am- the amputation thing and saying that the behavior really escalated after that is what was most interesting. But like... Yeah. There's a lot of weird shit in this case.
3: Yeah, there's a lot.
2: Also, like, what do you guys think about, like, Manny seems to be like besties with his mom. Like... This was not a, a nurture situation where it no. was like her mothering caused this like she was close no, with everyone else in the family this is like a bad
3: seed. So um we want to thank Julie for being our first degree connection and we found her because one of her friends reached out to us. One of her sisters' coworkers reached <laughs> out to us
2: and said you have to talk to my friend Patty and then I reached out to Patty. She's like, no, it's not me. It's my sister, Julie. <laughs> so every, You know, we love this. Share your stories. I mean, he was attacking women for years before the crime he was actually apprehended for. Right. Like, change needs to be encouraged because, like, this whole sex worker thing, the fact that they're not listened to... I mean, they were like, oh, no one's going to listen to us. Yeah, they we'll didn't just... even bother. No one needed to die. No. Yeah. And they
0: did. They, well, they also... They did the right thing, which is brave for them to do. And they say this guy robbed us. This guy raped us. They told their the story. The police, yeah. you know, and then the police, once they finally got around to doing something about it, they said, "Oh, you know, what? we couldn't find it." They're dead. They're that's dead. literally.
3: They're not.
2: It's, they're
0: it's, literally alive. Yeah.
3: Oh, so fucked up. All right. Well, um, that's it for now. Um, Crime Con's in a week and a half. Again, if you guys want to come, you can get ten percent off your badges by using our code Degree Nineteen on the CrimeCon website. We're gonna have some goodies at our booth. Don't Foto- know if they are Instagram yet. photo ops. We'll probably have some drinks if they're allowed. I 100% have to assume they are because it's New Orleans. Come on.
2: And we'll be in some sort of matching garb. Yeah. Billy just uh apprehensively agreed to it. Cautiously <laughs> yes. agreed. I cautiously agreed
0: to it. <laughs>
2: to the shi- we my, have it on like on the day I have planned is the motif is the shining. <laughs> Can so, I just wear shining colors? No all right. Well, will you wear a shining necklace or some other I'll shit? I'll figure out something small. I'll help you. Uh, okay. Thank you. Okay. I'll wear the big thing, and then I'll just be like... <laughs> and you guys wear like a sock and a pocket square and whatever. Done.
3: Easily. All
0: right. Cool. Okay. I'll, I'll wear two socks, though, by the way. I <laughs> yeah. Just wear one I'll wear sock. one
3: sock.
2: It's going to be anything. <laughs> I want to wear a whole body sock, which is actually... A Sleeping bag. There you go. Oh, that sounds nice. slash onesie.
3: Oh, shining onesie. So I'm saying I'm going to make sure to wear a onesie. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, until next time, or if you guys have until next time, if you guys have a first degree story or you know somebody who does, please reach out to us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Fanick or email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Alexis reads them very neurotically. And until next week, keep your family close, but not that close
2: a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available now wherever you get your podcasts.